Peace to you. Welcome back to the Living Water Chapel. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we are up to chapter 14, if you want to read along with me. Let's begin with verse 1. Now it happened in, in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. So I think it's uh, Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, but who is being referred to in this moment, not sure. He didn't say who, it just says they. So it could be any of the disciples, um, any of the disciples. Um, let's see, maybe he'll say it later. Verse 2. Oh, but the Iconium, that's in Turkey. Uh, the country of Turkey, not the kind you eat. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So he's saying the brethren. So again, it's any of the new Christian faith are probably who are there. Um, and it says the Gentiles, so there's non-Israelites, are stirred, are being stirred up by the Jewish population. So remember, Jesus was Jewish himself. And so there's two types of ways. There's several ways to be Jewish. You can be Jewish by birth. You can be Jewish by religion. Or you can be um, Jewish or Judean, which is also called Jewish, um, by the location most thought most of being living in Judea. Um, so not sure which one of the Jews it's talking about here in specific, but it's letting us know there's dissension. Verse 3, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So this seems to be um, uh, just uh, giving an overview of the events that happened rather than a play-by-play, -play. Um, but showing that miracles and things were being um, uh, performed at the disciples' hands by the grace of God to sort of affirm the faith. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. So again, it didn't let, it's not naming anyone here, it's just saying the apostles, um, but there is also division, some with the faith Jesus was born into, and some of the new faith that's on the, the rise, Christianity. Verse 5, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, so things have gotten violent, The um, just like in modern times, political disturbances, um, but it's getting to a violent point with them. Verse 6, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. So, as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. Uh, it seems they fled for their lives to other areas. Just like Jesus said, when we're rejected in one place, dust the, the, wipe the dust off our feet, keep it moving, paraphrasing there. And that, that simple act of marking the rejection that we, we as Christians experience in places will be the marker for all time for God to notice, take note of it and know, oh, we tried there, we're rejected there, and that there is a judgment for the place that rejected us when that time comes. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what Jesus tells us to do as Christians when we go and try to carry the message forward and are rejected. Don't dwell on it. Don't seek vengeance. Don't get mad. Keep it moving. Verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. So um, the apostles, whoever they are, these new Christians, first Christians, or some of the first Christians, because actually 
This is probably maybe even decades after Jesus' crucifixion at this point. It's not really stated um, to this point how long after the crucifixion this is, but there's been lots of travel by um, since uh, since the last time we saw Jesus or heard from Jesus, read letters of Jesus, witnessed by other people um, since Acts chapter one. Um, but it's the gospel that they say they're preaching there according to author of this book of Acts. There's eight. So presumably the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those red letters. Verse eight, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. So um, it seems moving on to another scene where there's a person not able to walk who was born disabled. Verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So now we are naming one of you, some, naming someone, it's Paul who's being named now, who's um, noticing some of the crippled person, the handicapped, disabled person. Um, he's taking note of him, verse 10, and he's saying something to him, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. So it seems uh, just like that, a miracle has happened. Paul has, it seems, and he says the man was uh, crippled from birth. So it's not like he suddenly pretended to be disabled. Presumably everyone around him knew that he wasn't able to walk all this time. And now with a word, not mentioning Jesus at all, by the way, let's not overlook that. But um, just uh, telling the man to stand up straight on his feet man instantly was healed and able to walk and even leap. Verse 11. Now when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So the people are thinking that um, just like the Bible says, there's more than one entity being referred to as God. Because even in Genesis, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. So God wasn't alone from the start, even according to the Bible. It seems here, God's is lowercase g, God's. But the people are thinking that obviously something divine has happened. And they're thinking God has, um, which is common in the Roman, uh, I guess we'd call it mythology now, but to them it was their religion. They believed that the entities they were worshipped as gods, as gods, plural, could take human forms and uh, even animal forms and um, and different things. That was part of their beliefs, which some parts of the Bible kind of read the same way. Um, for instance, when the animals are able to take on the spirits of, um, they're called devils, demons, evil spirits like that, the animals are able to do that. In one instance, an animal was able to talk. A donkey was able to talk. That was in the Old Testament. So, um, it, and not only talk, but give good advice and save someone's life. The donkey was able to do that. And it's in the Bible. We've read it already. Um, so it seems the people believe that that's what's happening. Verse 12, something like that. And Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So Zeus, you might have heard before. Hermes, you probably heard before. Or Hermes, as it's called, the designer, the designer brand. Um, those are names of um, Greco-Roman gods, 
I guess uh, in Roman it's Zeus, but in Greek it's um, Apollo, if I'm if I remember right. Don't know, don't quote me on that. Um, but it seems that's who they believe who who that's who they believe Paul and Barnabas to be. They believe that they are two chief gods, or one um, their chief god uh, in on high Zeus, and their chief god down low. Uh, Hermes, if I think that's who Hermes was, Hermes, um, god of the underworld, if I remember right, something like that. They believe that that's who those two are, and they're probably closer to the right than um than people than history and religion would have us believe. Because again, they perform that miracle, that action of healing the person. They didn't do it in Jesus' name. Neither one of them was a, an apostle of Jesus, so. It's entirely possible that there was some other entity, deity, spirit behind the healing. Just as Jesus said that uh, false Christs and false prophets would arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive. So to me, the fact that they were able to perform a healing doesn't mean they're from Jesus anymore. An atheist doctor or surgeon could perform a healing or a medical miracle and still not believe in God. Just because the healing happened doesn't mean it was from God is my point. Verse 13, then the priests of Zeus, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. So just like the religion Jesus was born into, uh, that we read about previously here on the Naked Truth on the Living Water Chapel, um, they believed that the way to get close to the God was to kill the animals, make animal sacrifices. It was very common, not just there, but around the world, for people to believe that the way to get God's attention is to make the animals suffer. I guess because the animals were here before we were, at least according to the Bible. So in killing them somehow, that pleasures God? I don't know. My guess is, no, I won't even say it because it'll sound crazy, but it's not that crazy. If we see in the Bible that a donkey's able to talk, then is it that crazy to believe that the animals were able to communicate like a Mr. Ed, and talk to each other and verbally talk to each other and understand each other. And only after the so-called fall of man, the mistakes humans made, maybe then that's when the darkness entered, when people came along and started killing the animals to eat them. Because remember, the first diet people were given was herbs, like weed, marijuana, it's an herb. In Genesis chapter one, the diet is, I've given every green herb for food. So it seems to me the first sin, or at least among them, will be starting to kill the animals and eating them. That's bloodshed of the creation God just created. Um, I don't know. Verse uh, 14. So the people are ready to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, um, thinking they're um, Zeus and Hermes. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among them. The multitude crying out. So at least Paul and Barnabas seem to be having the, I guess it'd be righteous reaction to the people, um, an appropriate reaction to the people thinking they're not who they are, thinking they're gods. Verse 15, they tore their clothes. That, that's the way, like we've read before since the Old Testament, that's the way people showing outrage or heartbreak at things. They tear their clothes, sort of like a public display of uh, outrage, verse 15, and saying, man, why are you doing these things? 
We also are men of the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. So they're starting out by rebuking the people for making offerings to them, telling them that those sort of things are the wrong way to go. Verse 16, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. So they're it's not sure which one's talking, whether it's Paul or, or Barnabas. Um, to say they both tore their clothes. It, well, they're saying they did it, tore their clothes and ran out, crying out these words. I'm not sure who's actually speaking. But what they're saying is that people should worship God and that God allowed them to, to do those things like worship however they best saw fit in the past. Verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, fill, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So they're letting the people know, it seems they're preaching to the people, that people did do these sort of things uh, to worship God in the past. God permitted it, allowed it, um, and even blessed people with nature to take place normally as far as rain and harvest and so forth. Verse 18, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Um, so they're preaching to them that they shouldn't make the animal sacrifices to them, that they're not gods, basically. But their words are moving the people so much so that the people are thinking, oh, they must be gods, and continuing to make, trying to make animal sacrifices. Verse 19, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So um, it seems like there's a, there's a break in the story and moving on to another time. If you're reading along with me, you see it says stoning escaped to Derby, or Derb, however it's pronounced. And so it seems there's probably a period of time passed between the people trying to make the animal sacrifice and the other religious authorities showing up and um, and actually not wanting to stone Paul, but actually stoning him and dragging him out of the city, um, thinking they'd killed him. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So just like that, they thought he was dead, but he's right back up again. And um, some of the disciples gathered to him, and he left with them. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they're continuing, continuing to do what evangelism is actually supposed to do, spread the gospel. Not what evangelicals do in modern times, spread nonsense, at least the American version of it. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must enter the kingdom of God. So if you read me before, you see what he's saying, what they must do is go, must go through many tribulations um, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus said we have to go through. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly and that he's overcome the world. So I don't, I would suggest you read verse 26 once out loud, 
but I just to be careful. It's probably what you want to call down or manifest tribulations in your life just because someone in the Bible said it. It wasn't Jesus. But he's saying, and he's telling them, he's preaching to them, um, saying that um, they should stay faithful and that basically with the walk, uh, tribulation goes along with it. Which, I mean, to that part, it seems true to me, but that still doesn't make it gospel. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So um, the church system, did we read this already? The church system, the church system seems to, seems to be getting set up and they're appointing people to these different um, uh, levels of authority in it. Verse 24, and after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. So they, again, it's unnamed who they are, are on the move. Verse 25, now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Um, so still on the move with the evangelism, presumably. Verse 26, from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Um, so who is it commending them to the grace of God? I don't know. Presumably, the religious community is basically giving them their flowers for their evangelism. Verse 27, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done for them and that he had opened the door to faith, of faith to the Gentiles. Again, I don't know why that's news to any of the disciples, at least the, any of the ones who walked with Jesus, since that was the message Jesus left us with at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So why news, why salvation being available to whomsoever will, beyond people of the Jewish faith, beyond people of the, in the area of Judea, beyond Jerusalem, is news to them? I don't understand. Uh, except for maybe it wasn't the original disciples who they're reporting it back to. Maybe it's some of their new converts or more recent converts who they're letting them know salvation is to whomsoever will. Verse 28. So they stay there a long time with the disciples. So again, not sure who they are. Presumably Paul and Barnabas. I don't know. But they stayed there a long time with the disciples, um, whoever they were. And so presumably they were being taken care of and um, seen to while they're there. That was the last verse in, um, in this chapter. So that's what we'll end this part of today's reading. But we're going to, as always, try to make sure we have some red letters. And then we're going to wrap up the book of uh, the book of Matthew chapter 5. Um, Barnabas, we made it to the second to last clause in that chapter. That the heading, go to second mile, we'll pick it up there. That's um, chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 38 through 42. Um, yeah, because we did oats last time. So um, if you want to read along with me there, let's begin there with verse 38. This is Jesus now speaking red letters. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So uh, just like it said in, in what we call the Old Testament, book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 24, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20, 
Deuteronomy verse 19, verse 21. So it is scriptural. It's doctrine because it's what people use as their religion and it's in the Bible, but it's not Christian. Uh, in this case, it's even red letter because Jesus is saying it, but Jesus isn't affirming that as what we as Christians should do. So that's actually a very, I think, something we shouldn't overlook. Here's an example of something that is in the Bible. It is, so it makes it scripture. It is something Jesus said, so it's red letter. But it's not actually a teaching that Jesus is affirming. It's Jesus referring to the Old Testament, uh, what we call the Old Testament, and a belief of religion. And that people even now embrace in their religion, even though they claim to be Christians. So Jesus is letting us know, oh yeah, I know you've heard that. that you're allowed to take revenge. You're allowed to avenge yourself. If somebody does you wrong, you're allowed to do them wrong. An eye for an eye. That's what it means. A tooth for a tooth. If somebody um, gouges out your eye or costs you an eye, you're allowed to cost them one. If someone knocks out your tooth, you're not allowed to knock one of their teeth out. Everyone will be toothless and blind if people live that way, but it is in the Bible and people do believe that. So verse 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus is letting us know here there's a difference between religion and Christianity. Everything in the Bible isn't Christian. Even if Jesus says it, that doesn't mean it's something Jesus is preaching to us to do. So Jesus reflects back on the eye for an eye thing so that we'll know what it is people will tell us God would have us do, God would have us believe. Jesus letting us know, yeah, 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 I know that's out there, but if you're Christians, here's what I'm telling you is up. This is what I'm telling you should do. Don't take her, don't avenge yourself. Don't do what everyone else is doing when it comes to when you're wrong, wronging other people. That's not what you're to do at all. You're supposed to turn the other cheek, not get a two by four, like some preachers will tell you, that that's what love is, even though they know they wouldn't want anyone to do that to them. Preachers will do that and say things like that. I think it's cool, but to me, I think that's, if that's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, it's got to be pretty close to it, because we as Christians are, at least from what it reads, are to believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are inspired by called to memory by the Holy Spirit to the apostles' minds so that they can, um, did give this testimony so that we do have it here to reflect to on for now to almost 2,000 years later. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit um, would have affected all that. It would be spreading a lie for thousands of years for people to rely on and lean on, believing it to be true that it's something Jesus said as inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it actually isn't. Um, that's the unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And regardless of what people tell you, anyone could commit it. Some preachers will tell you only the elect can do that. Jesus didn't say that anymore. Just like Jesus never said the word Antichrist in any of the Gospels, never said the word Millennium. He didn't say any of those words or refer to those or the rapture either. He didn't refer to any of those things, and yet Religion would have people believe that's exactly what's happening. And they get people to believe it because those things are in the Bible. But Jesus didn't say them. They're not red letters. They're just things people teach as religion and pass down to each other, indoctrinating each other. But I believe trapping each other in a lie. Verse um, 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. 
So I think what Jesus is saying there is be willing to settle, be reasonable. If someone is taking you to court to sue you, um, it, it unless you absolutely know, and even if you know you're in the right and have a great uh, representative attorney or case, still doesn't mean you're going to win it, especially in America. In America, there's all sorts of things that can keep you from winning your just case. Things like all sorts of things that are set up that can snatch justice away from you and uh, let other people go completely free for things much, 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 much worse than anything you're even accused of. Um, so everything in the system is not just, it's not righteous, and it's definitely not equal. Um, so if you find yourself in a case like that, settling may be your best bet, even if you know you're in the right, maybe even especially if you know you're in the right. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't, maybe I guess the plain English we would say, choose your battles, be careful. Uh, um, why would you want to, why make a mountain out of a molehill if you can settle something and keep it moving? Verse 41, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. So in that sense, I think of a bully. If a bully forces you to do something, Jesus is saying, say like if your bully forces you to give him your lunch one day, give him your lunch the next day too. And I guess it's, I don't know that I'd be able to have the, the ability to, the wherewithal to follow through on these um, commands. Because that's what Jesus is telling This is what Jesus is telling us as Christians we should be doing. To not do what the rest of the world is doing, but instead to react in these same ways. And this is the way to get the Christian action and Christian response in our actions, rather than the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth approach. Um, verse 40, 52, I'm sorry, 42, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So Jesus is saying there, I guess just like he tells us, asking you will receive. If we're going to believe that we're to be able to ask God for what it is we need, seek, want, and receive it, then I suppose what Jesus is saying, we have to walk in that same sort of spirit of being freely giving, like he tells us, freely we receive, freely give. So in that same sense, practice what we preach. If we're really ready, always ready to receive a blessing, always be ready to give one, I would think, is what Jesus, part of what Jesus, in essence, to what Jesus is trying to let us know here. So that's the last part of this part of the clause in um, of the red letters. So we'll end it here and we'll wrap it up with the passage of the day. Um, and that's, uh, John 17. Let me pull it up here. And it's John 17, verse 8. And it reads, For I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they've received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they believe that you sent me. So this passage, this verse is a verse I meditate on daily because, or it's one of my daily meditation verses because to me, it's the essence of the red letters. It's Jesus letting us know that everything in the Bible, this Bible hadn't even been compiled back then, but everything people call scripture, everything people refer to as religion, everything people use in their idea of approaching God it's not from God at all. 
especially the stuff in the Bible. And to me, verse 8 of this chapter 17 makes it clear that Jesus is the one out of everyone in the Bible, who everyone in the world, who God chose to bring us his word, to bring us God's word. So it's the red letters. It's not the entire Bible. It's the things Jesus actually said. And in believing that, believing all the red letters, in the red letters, doing our best to live by the red letters, in that way, I believe Jesus is letting us know we show God that we have faith that Jesus is that one who was sent to bring us salvation through his word. Because remember, Jesus said, God, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, meaning Jesus. And it's Jesus' words that will judge on the last day, according to Jesus. So anyway, that's the passage of the day, the verse of the day, and why it stands out to me. And that's the reading for today. I appreciate you reading along with me. Hope it's a blessing for you. If you'll join me for the Living Water Chapel again. Love you. Stay safe. Peace be with you.